You're listening to the Onside Podcast, the podcast for inclusive, innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is Season 2, Episode 10, and the theme this month is Women in Innovation and Entrepreneurship, a Balancing Act. Today, I'm joined by Bronwyn Bridges, a PhD student in pharmacy at Memorial University in Newfoundland, who is the co-founder and CEO of Pragmaclin, a company focused on assessing and monitoring neurological conditions such as Parkinson's disease. Alongside her co-founder and COO, Gord Gensch, an entrepreneur who has Parkinson's, the pair are making a difference in the lives of patients with movement disorders. Their PRIM software runs tests on patients using cameras to remotely monitor motor and non-motor skills. Pragmaclin is a recent Volta cohort winner and has also won the top prize of $25,000 at the Mel Woodward Cup, a competition for startups connected to Memorial University. Bronwyn, welcome to the Onside Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Okay, awesome. Well, I just shared with everybody some awesome things about you and your background and what you've been doing in terms of accomplishments with uh, starting your your company, uh, Pragmaclin. And um, but before we kind of like dive in, I always like to let our listeners hear directly from our wonderful guests a little bit uh, about themselves. So I was wondering if you can share a little bit of your uh, your background with uh, the Onside Podcast listeners. Happily. So my name is Bronwyn Bridges. I grew up in Summerside, PEI, a typical lifestyle. I volunteered a lot through the hospital, through local care homes, and then ended up having a passion for science. So did a lot of science courses in high school, which led me to a biology degree at St. FX in Nova Scotia. And then while there, I ended up actually having some major concussions that resulted in my passion for neuroscience mm. and um, and my, we'll say, not passion for being able to get into uh, post-secondary programs post-grad. <laughs> so uh, I ended up applying and getting into the Master's of Pharmacy program at MUN in Newfoundland. And uh, since then, I've been at Memorial since September 2019, mm-hmm. uh, studying Parkinson's disease in multiple different scopes through the lab and through now this company, um, working alongside Parkinson's patients. And that was a lot of a transition from COVID and Snowmageddon and everything mm. else that happened during that time. So I'm now doing my PhD in pharmacy, but I didn't actually complete my master's mm-hmm. and I still have not clued up my PhD. So I am a uh, permanent student, I would like to say, <laughs> as a full-time career path, but I like to island hop also. So from PEI to Nova Scotia to Newfoundland, I haven't really left the East Coast. Okay. Well, that sounds pretty good. That's exciting. And I, I think when we talked before, because we had a little chance, you you said that you got interested in studying neurosciences and things like that because of your concussion. What what happened? Like, how did you, like, what actually, did, I, I don't want to say you got, like, knocked in the head, <laughs> but, like, what, what happened in that? How did that kind of uh, make you realize that this was something that you actually really wanted to focus on? Everybody's favorite question, right? So you say <laughs> that and you're like, wow, I had a few, uh, you know, mild hits to the head. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually on the cheerleading team at St. FX, uh, uh-huh. which is just, you know, a low level club sport there. But um, 
Yeah, the training and everything. It was people from all different backgrounds, some who had cheerleaded before, and some newcomers, a lot of people from the dance background. Mm. So I wouldn't say it was the safest <laughs> activity to be at, uh-huh. uh, but it, I did love it while I was there. And so it was actually during cheerleading. I was the person that they threw around. Um, oh, wow. As gravity says, you get tossed up, you must come back down. And sometimes there was just not people there to catch me. So. Oh, man. Yeah. So a few major concussions from that led me to have a lot of alone time in the dark. Mm -hmm. And therefore, my grades ended up going down quite a bit because I was really bad at testing. Mm -hmm. And I was already a really anxious person. So it wasn't honestly great testing before that, but that Mm -hmm. really made a a noticeable difference. Mm -hmm. And then during that time, that same time, actually, I was working in something called service learning. So you volunteer Mm -hmm. within the community in in some sense. And uh, my partner actually was a Parkinson's patient. So I worked with the physiotherapy clinic in Anaganish. And I was paired up with a Parkinson's patient who was kind of in, in a very late stage, okay. like in, in terms of how we would talk, like a three or a four for sure. Mm-hmm. So he had a lot of difficulty. And basically, my goal was just to walk with him, keep him active mm-hmm. uh, and have conversation to engage him. Um, so it was quite heartbreaking to see how far advanced he was and that there really wasn't much treatment that they could do for him. So I was like, you know, this is a wild case of study that I'd not really heard of before. And mm-hmm. Parkinson's wasn't something that had happened in my family necessarily. So I wanted to know a little bit more about it. And then it led to a passion of figuring out neurodiseases. And it just so happened that my supervisor here at Memorial actually studied Parkinson's specifically, mm-hmm. as well as concussions. So he was uh, very in tune with what I was going through and what I had already been working on with this patient. And mm-hmm. we were like, how can we blend my experience to work alongside him? So I studied a lot of lab work with most models um, uh-huh. and neurodegenerative diseases. And that's kind of how my research transitioned. Oh, wow. Interesting. And when you decided to go to Memorial and, and move from St. Effects, you know, you got your concussions, you were being thrown in the air, you decided that's probably not a wise choice. <laughs> it's not helping me here. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's having an impact kind of on my, on my uh, ability to do things. And then you started to think about doing some other research. Um, and you met this professor that was at Memorial, was that a big decision for you to kind of decide to continue on with uh, the research path? Like, you know, a lot of people are interested in things, but they don't necessarily decide to take that kind of next step. Like, was there something that made you want to do that next step? Yeah, I think it was kind of a a realm of a bunch of different things. I didn't really want to leave Atlanta, Canada quite yet. I really enjoyed the culture that we have here. Ontario would be my next option, uh, but it's quite a big jump, Mm -hmm. especially coming from Antigonish. If you've been there, it's a small community. And I really loved that community style there. Mm -hmm. Um, So choosing Newfoundland was, it was on the radar just because Atlanta, Canada was, but I didn't ever picture myself necessarily moving here for a while. (laughs) But I had done a lot of research into programs that could be applicable in Mm -hmm. the neuroscience field. And a lot of it is honestly just research. There is not a whole lot of career fields Mm -hmm. that revolve around it without doing research. And that's either drug discovery or rehabilitation services. And so then I found the pharmacy program, which looked a bit different because when I tell people I'm taking a PhD pharmacy, they instantly assume I'm going to be a pharmacist, Mm -hmm. which is not the case. It's Mm -hmm. just that I'm, you know, researching at a doctoral level in a pharmacy field. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, oh, wow, pharmaceutical sales would be kind of (laughs) cool. 
<laughs> I don't really know much about it, but at this point I'm kind of open to anything. So the transition was really just, I knew if I took a year off, I would not go back to school. Mm. And I knew that a biology degree does not give me a very high paying job to survive mm. in the economy we're mm-hmm. in. So I was mm-hmm. like, how can I go back to school and still enjoy what I'm doing? So I focused on something that was actually passionate for me so that I would not dread going to school every day. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our theme kind of this month is uh, women and in innovation and entrepreneurship. Did, did you know a lot of other women that were going into this area or this field or what was? No. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not at all. Okay. It was a lot of people who had specific programs that they wanted to go into. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of friends in business who were going into like accounting and finance, but I did not have many friends that were in the research side of things. Mm-hmm. And if they took a science degree, they're like, yeah, I don't really know what I'm doing with my life now. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not hundred percent sure where this leads to. And I think that is where there is a massive gap in that undergrad level Mm -hmm. um they you know lead you to the end of it and then it's like okay now what are you gonna do it's Mm -hmm. like i don't know what i can do Mm -hmm. and so i know how many google searches i did that were like what job can i get with a bachelor (laughs) of science Uh, Uh and you know it leads you to a lot of dead ends or seeing oh wow i wish i had taken that in my undergrad because then i would have been prepared to do this post-grad later on Mm. and me not knowing that a lot of that i wanted to be an occupational therapist for a while or a Mm -hmm. dentist And I was like set on that for years. That Mm -hmm, was exactly mm -hmm. what I was going to do. And then I get to the end and it's like, your average was not even close to being high (laughs) enough. I'm like, well, that's devastating. (laughs) So just things that if I had known maybe a little bit in advance, I maybe could have prepared for Mm -hmm. um, and taking the right courses or even just, you know, mentally preparing that I needed to have over a 95 to get accepted into some of these programs. Mm, Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, I I hear this a lot actually from uh, a lot of young people in, in in all kinds of fields, but sciences in particular, it seems to be there's a little bit of gap, you know, of knowing like what comes next or what could you be or uh, where does this lead? So I'm, I'm, it's really interesting that you were able to still kind of figure out how to get to this next level with uh, pursuing your PhD and, and doctorate and making that big leap and saying, I'm going to go to the rock. I'm going to go to Newfoundland. I'm going to go and pursue this, even if there were not a lot of uh, other women who were doing that at, at the same time. So it is a big leap to kind of uh, take that on. And when you were deciding to uh, head down this path towards doing an advanced degree and you weren't seeing very many women that were there, were there things that were like holding you back from pursuing this kind of path? Or you just thought, you know, no, it's no problem. I got it. And uh, I'll just just move ahead here. I've always been a very independent person. Like mm-hmm. I'm I've never thought, oh, I don't know. I'm just like if I want to do something, <laughs> I'm always the person who goes for it. Um I think that's how I ended up here and what I'm doing. Um but my lab partner, like she is she's fantastic. She actually just graduated, but I worked alongside her as soon as I moved here and it was fascinating how smart she she's just the most brilliant person Mm -hmm. and she taught me so much that I didn't know and I've just learned that you can adapt to the situation like I come in and I'm I have no idea what half the chemicals are I don't know how she knows and she's just like I just learned it myself I'm Mm -hmm. like that's incredible Mm -hmm. so I think that you know having the drive that you can if nobody else is going to show you how to do it you can probably learn it yourself Um, and I think that just takes a lot of 
a lot of passion into what you're doing. So like I say, if you follow what you actually are interested mm-hmm. in, it makes such a difference in in the field that you take for sure. Yeah. I think having a very uh, curious nature goes a very long way. Uh, this is a complete aside, but a while ago, I uh, it was winter and I couldn't figure out how to uh, use a snowblower. I'd never really like used a snowblower. And everybody was away. I was by myself and there was like a massive blizzard. And uh, I was like, you know, there's got to be a way. And there is. It's called YouTube. You just look on YouTube. And if you don't know how to do something, <laughs> there's somebody YouTube on there. YouTube will tell you, yeah. YouTube, YouTube <laughs> will tell you. YouTube will tell you. So, okay, so I'm, I'm curious about this. You, you made this sort of leap from PEI and you were at St. FX and Anaganish. Anaganish is a beautiful, beautiful town. Great, great place to, to go to school. Uh, you realize, um, you know, you want to get to Newfoundland. So you, you make your way there. And you're starting to do more research in the the field of Parkinson's. Like, how did you decide to think about actually creating a company that was going to focus on, well, anything related to uh, innovative field? How did that occur to you? Just how, how did that come about? Oh, I'm like two years deep and I still look back and wonder how it all <laughs> happened. But uh, my, my co-founder, Gord, who has Parkinson's himself, he is fantastic, and we work so hard every single day to make the dream a reality. But mm. when I met him, I was just giving a talk on blueberries and the impact they can have on neuroprotection. So eat your blueberries. Mm. But we were studying this in mice models, and we wasted nine months for ethics approval to find out we didn't need ethics approval for what we were doing. Like mm. it was honestly the longest nine months and biggest waste of time I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, had felt so discouraged about doing research. I was like, I there's got to be something different because I cannot do nine more months of of research approval for one project that I'm mm-hmm. supposed to be done a degree in two years for. So we had a lot of coffee dates over COVID <laughs> when I couldn't be in the lab. And um, we really just brainstormed like, OK, where are the gaps in his personal experience and which was long wait time, shortage of neurologists. And even when you do get diagnosed, then you're barely being seen every year. And that's no shortfall to a neurologist. They just simply have a ridiculously high workload for how many mm-hmm. there are versus how many neuro patients there are. And so they're seeing people if they're lucky twice a year. One of those is probably virtual. The other one may be in person. And so we wanted to be able to bridge the gap between appointments because who knows if something happens in those six months and you can't get a hold of your doctor. You know, we've all been there on those Mm -hmm. long wait times. And so we wanted to say, where can we step in and fill the gap in the research that I was doing? And honestly, it was all a whirlwind. Like it was such a blur. We said, okay, there's systems out there that can do X, Y, Z. So how can we do, you know, A, B all the way to Mm -hmm. Z? And we wanted to actually be able to cover every single symptom and factor of this disease because there is so many. Mm -hmm. If you've ever looked up symptoms of Parkinson's, it is everything under the sun. And it can affect your daily life in every single aspect um, without you even realizing it. So we kind of took all the research then my research skills that we had and compiled it all into this measure, used an international scale and said, okay, let's build a system. So we contracted out a company here locally to build our vision mm-hmm. with some funding from the government. And the vision turned out to be really successful. And then everybody started to believe in the vision. So they kept building it and building it and making it better and including more things. And then all of a sudden we're looking back and we're like, 
whoa, <laughs> what did we just build? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. So then in March, we decided, you know, let's pitch this in a student competition here mm-hmm. and see what people think of it. We ended up winning the competition and everybody was like, you've been hiding this. Why? And I said, you know, I honestly don't know. I don't even know if I, it was that I meant to, but I know I spoke to this and that, you know, it's almost like hiding my baby until it's perfect. Mm, and I didn't want to come out about anything until I knew it was at a level of, okay, this is something people are going to actually like when they see it and they're going to find value in it. And so at that point we had been out there, we're like, well, we'll just keep trying uh, and see if everybody else seems to like this in different fields. And so we kept pitching and pitching and we won competition after competition and we realized, okay, we have a pretty cool idea on our hands. So Mm -hmm. we should probably, you know, actually focus on this fully. And that's kind of whenever we took a deep dive and I actually started spending, you know, full-time hours on this, which is all part of my research because this was my project. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's how I transitioned from the research to entrepreneurship. It was all a blur. And I still look (laughs) back and I don't really know where the line happened, but it was somewhere in the last two years. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, first of all, it's it's so interesting to hear you say that. It's it's almost... um, not not accidental, but it's like you, you were following a passion and it kept going and then you kind of fell into it to kind of uh, make things happen. So was, I find that really interesting. I, I also I had mentioned to you before my uh, my father had uh, Parkinson's disease as well. So I'm very familiar with kind of the symptoms and the tremors and the inability to kind of control your your motor function and, mm-hmm. and how that can really have an impact on, you know, your your ability to, to have a good quality of life. So I'm really appreciative of, of everything you're doing. And, uh, you know, the other thing you were saying about was, you know, you had this this baby, which was your product, Prims, and uh, you were trying to, you know, keep it close to the vest and not let anyone, you know, see it until you felt like it was really, really ready. Do you wish that you had brought it out sooner or, or anything like that? Or what what have you learned about that sort of experience of like the trying to make it just perfect? Right. It's like such a yes and no kind of answer because on some aspects, I think, yeah, if we had brought it out earlier and showed everybody, then, you know, we might have been able to get a little bit more support in different ways that we didn't avail of at the time. However, um, the NRCI rap in the province believed in it from day one. And that mm-hmm. was really all we kind of needed to to get going is we needed that initial funding to develop it. Mm-hmm. And now we're at a point where we can, you know, bring it forward and people are excited and happy to help in any way, shape or form, whether that's advisory or mentorship or or even investment. And I think that if we had have came out earlier, people would have been a lot more heavy on the like, but why and hows. Mm. And at that point, it's really just it's an innovation and you don't know the whys and hows yet because it's all still something you're trying to work out. Mm-hmm. And there is 100 percent been kinks. We have brought people into the office to try it. And, you know, we wanted simple feedback, blunt and honest feedback. You tell us Parkinson's patients, please tell us what is good and what is bad about it. And they were honest and it was, you know, some people might take that to heart like, oh, how dare they, you know, hate on our child that we've just (laughs) spent so much time developing. But honestly, game changer because we took the feedback and we've totally just changed the software and how it works and what it does and kind of our model and where we're going with it. And I think that without that 
harsh feedback, we would mm-hmm. not have changed. And that's just it. We wanted to do this for the patients. And so they are the end user. And at the end of the day, it matters to them. Uh, it matters to us what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you mentioned you have your your co-founder, Gord, who's your, your COO. And uh, no, you're the CEO and co-founder as well with this company. And and was there some, I think I remember you saying there was a little bit of uh, back and forth around, you know, who would kind of lead this? Because you, you guys, you, you know, I mean, Gord, obviously he has the, the life experience and he is a Parkinson's patient. You have the research uh, and the knowledge around that. Uh, how did you guys decide, you know, how, you, how would you put your company together? Oh, such a good question. At the time, I was so hesitant. I was like, I don't know if I want to do it. You know, I'm in school. I really just want to get this degree done. It has been a hard few years. And I was like, I really just need to focus on school. <laughs> and, and he comes to me and he sits down and he's like, we really got to figure out the structure. Like, is this going to be something? You know, how are we going to line everything up? Are you going to be in charge? Am I going to be in charge together? We're co-founders, so it doesn't really matter. But we do need to figure out who is the person at the head of everything mm-hmm. and he and then he just I he like looks at me and he's like and you make a much better face for a company so I really just <laughs> wish you would take this on and I just remember laughing and I was like I don't know I don't know and then I ended up doing a few conversations similar to such where I was just chatting with people and they were like but Bronwyn you're easy to talk to and you're easy to approach and uh, you like talking that helps too which I do <laughs> um, and so you know being the face wasn't that difficult but then I started to do these pitch competitions and I think that's really where it kind of set us apart mm. was he's like you can get up there and you can present about this in three minutes you can convince people that what we're doing is important mm-hmm. which it is and he was like and I will happily let you take the reins on that any day because he's like not only do I not want to be up there uh, because I'm not a good public speaker in that sense but second of all I have Parkinson's and it's going to take me at least 10 minutes to get your three minute pitch out so Mm. he was like so let's just stick with what we know best and he is so good at funding applications and like the back things that you would have behind the scenes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm terrible at that and Mm -hmm. my writing skills not as good as my public speaking skills so it was kind of like it fell into place for the better and uh, the way we operate now is fantastic Mm -hmm. so yeah I wouldn't change for the world people always say how did you go from school to this and like I say it is a blur but it is a good blur nonetheless it was interesting I liked hearing that uh, real like kind of real conversation that you guys had and like recognizing the different strengths that you each brought to the table to bring this forward so that's I mean, it's so important to know yourself and and know your co-founder and like kind of be real with like who's who's doing what how did you you know with doing the pitches like did that give you a sense of confidence or like how did that experience of pitching like and getting up in front of people and, you know, it's it's one thing to be in the lab and, you know, running your with your mice models and, you know, things like that. Like what what is it like for you when you're when you're pitching? How does that what happens for you? I love it. <laughs> I love the anxiety <laughs> rush that comes before. Like I was t- like 12. No, I was probably like 14, 14. And I got up in front of my entire church congregation at the time okay. and had a big public speech. And I thought it was like the craziest thing to be in front of this, so many people. And now I do these pitches and I'm like, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> uh, and But I think that practice makes perfect. Like, mm-hmm. oh, 100%. The first time that I got up and I pitched Prims, I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, <laughs> you know, believe in what I'm saying right now. And then I started like, I'm like, Bronwyn, you spent two years working 
working on this. Mm-hmm. You know you believe in every aspect of what you're doing and you just need to have other people believe that, you know, you mm-hmm. believe as much as you do. Mm-hmm. And that was just it. It was like the confidence of as soon as I did the first one, I'm like, yeah, we got this. Like, I know what I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. it's so helpful that people say that transition from research to entrepreneurship. And I say it's a blurred line, like so helpful in what I'm doing because I'm in a science sector, mm-hmm. like regardless, digital health, it is a science background. And I, I remember I was in seminar a couple months ago at school and the associate dean just laughs and starts applauding after this first competition win because it was a school competition and he just starts applauding. I'm like, is that about my win? Like confused. And he's like, never have I ever seen a science person win the business competition for the year. So he was like, so props to you. And I was like, yeah, props to me. (laughs) Um, And I was just so happy about that because I was so happy that somebody in a science background could win something by Mm -hmm. using their innovation and their research to kind of go forward with that. So, yeah, I don't know. It's been it's been an experience for mm-hmm. sure. But I think that using the research has been super helpful in having these pitches because I'm confident about what I'm saying because it's something I've been studying for so long now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When the, when those judges, because I know I've been one of them, uh, when those judges <laughs> try to tr- try to trip you up on on uh, on something, you're like, nope, nope, I actually know what I'm talking about here. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I get the one question I get almost every time I pitch is, well, how are you going to do your PhD and this at the same time? Ooh. And every single time I have to explain and you're like, that's something I would ask. I can tell <laughs> Alex. Um, but uh, yeah, the thing is, is, is this is and was and still is my project. Um, so it's really just my research and my writing that I have to do is mm-hmm. on every single thing I do day to day with the business. Like, yeah, I really hate writing and that's going to be the worst part of it mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. because I already know everything that I've been doing and I know the whole aspect of putting the project together. I was there from day one until now. And it's really just like, how is this economically viable in the healthcare system and on the usability study we did, things like that. So it's it all flows together. It's just trying to get people to understand that connection that when I say I'm in pharmacy, people automatically assume, oh, you must be doing like six courses and, you know, you must be stressed. But it's it's I'm actually just working on the business alongside Mm -hmm. the research at the same Mm -hmm. time. So it works out really nicely. And there is possibilities to take programs that allow you to do this. So if Mm -hmm. you're taking a research based program, there's no reason that your research can't turn into some type of business. Mm-hmm. You just have to have the confidence in what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a I think that's a really, really great point. And we're trying to see more and more of that. We have so many smart people here in Atlanta, Canada doing all kinds of research, a lot of uh, in the med tech space and life sciences and things like that. And uh, getting folks comfortable with that idea that you can take your research out of the lab, you know, and that'll be our next thing we'll talk about. But, you know, getting getting it out there so that you can turn it into a business or a company or, you know, take it further. So it's really, really exciting to to hear you talk about that. If you had some uh, advice for uh, would-be woman entrepreneurs uh, out there, what would you recommend? What would you what would you say to them? Or your younger self. Like Nike here and be like, just do it. But it's so true. Like, literally, (laughs) just do it. Uh, Because that was totally me. And I did not have the confidence in the beginning. I was like, I am not an entrepreneur. This is not my thing, Gord. Like, I'm sorry, but you're on your own. I'll help you on the research side if you need something. (laughs) Um, And he he was so devastated, like so devastated for a long time until I convinced myself that I was very much capable. Mm -hmm. I have a very 
wild background of of jobs that I've done since I was 14 and just in every, you know, customer service aspect and I've done financial bookkeeping um, and I've served. So I speak to people all the time. I still do that. It's like my hobby, I think now instead of my job. Um, And I think that if you just believe in what you're doing and you're able to convince other people that what you're doing is going to a make a difference it's going to sell whatever the business idea is and the business model is as long as you believe it and you know that it's true then there's no reason that everybody else wouldn't believe it as well so have the confidence and know that there's always more resources than you think there are so a network in atlantic canada specifically is fantastic to have because you have a neighbor or somebody on linkedin (laughs) messaging you being like hey have you been in contact with this person and honestly half my zoom calls are just recommendations and soft intros from other people that are like this person can help further what you're mm-hmm, doing like mm-hmm. you need to talk to this person so cold calls yeah you might not have great luck but you don't need them here because there's always soft intros to be made so if you're seriously considering starting a business there is no reason that you can't start a business you just have to talk to the right people and they're quite easy to find yeah yeah that's really great advice let's leave it with the the just do it the nike the nike version just do it (laughs) okay well i have uh, one little quick final question i'd love to get your take on it's something we ask a lot of our guests here on the onside podcast because you know we're focused on inclusive innovation driven entrepreneurship and trying to create that kind of community here but one thing we're always interested in is people's opinions around entrepreneurship becoming an entrepreneur do you think it's nature or nurture I'm always this person who has to say both (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I just can never feel like I can pick one side. But it's so true. I feel like myself personally, there is a bit of of nature to it. I like to I already like to public speak. I already have a little bit of background in finance. I already have the science background. So there is some things that naturally have come to me and naturally will continue to come to me. But there is a lot of nurture to that. Mm -hmm. And there is so many calls I've made in a panic. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me. Um, (laughs) And so I think that, yeah, it's honestly 50-50. It's both nature and nurture. There is some skills that you will have and everybody will have in different ways, whether that's, you know, you're doing something that you need artistic um, abilities for, which I do not have. There is (laughs) there is people who have skill sets that will always help them naturally. So Mm -hmm. part of that is the nature of it. But the community that we have can always help nurture everything that you're missing. So there is a wide range of skill sets that it takes to be an entrepreneur that I'm learning every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is so many people who can help nurture that, especially within the ecosystem we have in Atlantic Canada. I think it's so important that you reach out to those people. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's awesome. I I really appreciate, uh, really appreciate you taking your time today to talk to us and share your insights and your passion and everything that you're, you're doing. If, um, if folks want to learn more about your company or learn about you, what's the, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, you can uh, check out our website, which is just uh, pragmaclin.com, nice and simple. So P-R-A-G-M-A-C-L-I-N.com. And then we also have a LinkedIn and a Facebook page, the exact same. And you can also just connect with me on LinkedIn. So Bronwyn Bridges on LinkedIn. 
Okay, that sounds fantastic. I'm sure we'll have some of our uh, on-site listeners reaching out to you. And uh, for all of our guests that uh, tuned in today, I want to say thank you for listening to the Onside podcast. You can learn more about our inclusive innovation monitor on our website, which is onsidenow.ca, and uh, hear more of our great stories coming up uh, on the Onside podcast. And as we come to a close, I'd like to also thank Community Culture and Heritage. We're so grateful for your support and helping us make this podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a Podstarter production. production.